there, and welcome to the Zero Half Hour, brought to you by Zero Hour Health and Zedic, a podcast where we talk with leaders from across the food service industry and beyond about the pressing issues of the day in 30 minutes or less. Our goal is to share ideas from diverse perspectives on a range of topics that matter to every business in the current and post-COVID eras. I'm Rosalind Stone, CEO of Zero Hour Health, and thanks for joining us. Today, we're joined by Stephen Lyon, Senior Lead for Food Safety at Chick-fil-A. Stephen has a master's and a PhD in agriculture, food science, and technology from the University of Georgia, and has been with Chick-fil-A for more than 10 years. Prior to Chick-fil-A, Stephen was a scientist for the USDA, focusing on bacterial resistance and other issues that affect the food supply chain. There truly is no one we work with day-to-day who has a more keen perspective on the challenges and dangers in providing safe food at scale. He knows his stuff. Without further ado, a conversation with Stephen Lyon. Hey, Stephen, how are you today? I'm doing great, Rosalind. Good. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, a short bio, who you are, your background, your role at Chick-fil-A? Sure. Yeah, so I've been with Chick-fil-A now for almost 12 years, and my background is in agriculture, uh, specifically poultry science, and then got a master's in microbiology and a PhD in uh, food microbiology. And so before coming to Chick-fil-A, I worked at the USDA uh, doing agricultural research, specifically on antibiotic resistance uh, with Campylobacter, Salmonella, specifically in, in poultry. And then came on board to Chick-fil-A in 2009 and started out doing some regulatory work, um, restaurant food safety, and then eventually led our supply chain food safety group uh, for about five years. Uh, and now I'm, I'm back on the restaurant operations side. And uh, specifically right now, what I'm working on is COVID um, and anything COVID related. So COVID response, COVID recovery, and then really taking a new role now that's specifically focused on team member health and wellness and specifically around infectious diseases. So, you know, one of the things, you know, I think we'll talk about later learnings from COVID is this responsibility now for retailers to take on more than just preventing foodborne illness, but how do we also prevent other communicable disease spread in the restaurant as well? So, yeah, I've had several different, many different roles, many different departments, um, but yeah, glad to be here. Well, you know that that team member health and wellness is music to my ears, and and you've you've heard me uh, preach to the, preach to the choir on that for years now. Um, so. I'm in the Northeast, so I'm in a little bit of a different place, but what was your first big uh, post-COVID event personally? Realize it was earlier in your state than mine probably. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it was just going, going out to eat. I uh, live in a college town, living in Athens, Georgia. So I think getting, getting out um, you know, to some sporting events, even though they weren't fully, you know, fully attended yet. Um, but really I think just getting out in restaurants or getting out in public um, over the last couple months, uh, without wearing a mask, um, you know, that now that I'm vaccinated, um, has been good. You know, we just took a trip down to South Georgia to the beach, um, and it felt like pre COVID, you know, down there. And then looking forward to going to Atlanta Braves game, uh, in a couple weeks, you know, where there's a hundred percent attendance, uh, like it was, uh, pre COVID. So slowly getting back. Um, but it's been, it's been good to see, uh, things return to normal. Yeah. So I'm in New York, but our offices are in Connecticut. And it's really interesting to see the difference in just the two neighboring states. Mm-hmm. Um, Con- Connecticut, it is 
very much back to normal in the last couple of weeks. New York and specifically New York City, still most people are masked both indoors and out, regardless of the, the state the state regulations. And it's it's really interesting. It's in, in neighborhoods, some are more back than others. Mm-hmm. You know, downtown in Soho in New York was you know hopping on Saturday night, but you know, Midtown is still a ghost town. So what were the biggest lessons learned for Chick-fil-A as a business from a food safety perspective in this past year? Yeah, I think there were a lot. There were a lot of lessons learned. Uh, I think, uh, let me start with the positive. Uh, one, I think we were, I think we were fairly well prepared. Um, you know, we definitely didn't see, um, see a, a magnitude of a pandemic respiratory uh, coming like this, but, but I felt like we were very well prepared because we had really focused on norovirus uh, for the two years previous. And so, um, you know, we had switched to alcohol-based sanitizer disinfectant. Um, we had, we had had our own, whatever, what we call a health prompt, point of sale health prompt, similar to y'all's wellness checks. We had tested that and kind of rolled that out to, to several locations uh, a year before COVID. We had just revamped our employee health policy. We actually had a full chain-wide kind of corporate training in the field, specifically on hand washing, employee health hygiene, the big six, um, all of those things. And we had also started working with the third party company to do uh, cleaning, sanitation, disinfection. So, you know, from a uh, cleaning and sanitation perspective from don't work while sick, you know, I think we, we were able to pull some triggers uh, pretty quickly being, being focused on norovirus. The other thing I think, that we had, um, we had a good, a good preparedness with is just our team. So three years ago, Chick-fil-A made a commitment for food safety to be quote unquote, a big move. And they put ample resources and people in place to build our team. And so we went and built our team and we built our team with communications uh, experts. Now these aren't food safety people that, you know, Hey, help us communicate. These were communication people that we had to teach food safety to. And it was the same with our IT department. We brought in IT people uh, and then taught them food safety. And so we really had a well-rounded, diverse team. We kind of had things split up where we had a risk assessment team. We have people that are focused on solutions, others that are focused just on support. So when COVID hit, this team had been together for three years. This team had had kind of focused on norovirus and it's a diverse team. And so when this happened, we were able to communicate effectively. We we're able to get solutions uh, rolled out and we we're able to support the field um, very well. Now, if Chick-fil-A, I'm, if I feel if they hadn't decided to give us that commitment years ago, um, it, I think we would have been scrambling. Um, so those were, I think, the good things. I think the other things is that, you know, we had to really be agile and flexible which, you know, our company has been growing at least since I've been here every single year. So we're used to being adaptable. We're used to being agile and we're used to being flexible, but we had to really be flexible when COVID hit and specifically give our owners operators a lot of flexibility, not so much around safety standards, but flexibility about, Hey, keeping your dining rooms closed or only doing carry out or, you know, doing delivery and, and doing some curbside, but just giving them flexibility on how to run their business, depending on how cases uh, were going uh, in there. You know, other lessons learned for us were, I think just 
wow, you know, we need to put a lot more focus just on HVAC, you know, not that our HVAC systems aren't good, but it's like, okay, well, we, we, this needs to be a continued focus, you know, moving forward. Um, you know, that was a big one. Supply shortages, you know, I think understanding just how reliant, you know, uh, our industry is on, on China for gloves and PPE and other things. Um, but we also had a lot of suppliers step up, specifically our uniform supplier for masks. Um, so those are just some of the biggest lessons, you know, I think uh, that we had. We felt, I think around February and March, we felt like, you know, we, we'd be able to, to handle this well. I think you know, late March and April were, were challenges, but uh, we pulled through, you know, May through the through May 2020 and, and where we are now. So you talked about positive lessons learned. What were the negative lessons? Um, yeah, I think like just the supply shortages, um, I think was was a big one. I think, too, just, you know, not knowing a whole lot about respiratory diseases. And, and people having to understand um, what an aerosol is versus what a droplet is. You know, I mean, I had to get educated on that as well. Um, you know, and another disadvantage, is it's just hard with spacing uh, in restaurants as well. Um, I think another lesson learned is that early in the pandemic, it seemed like the whole food system. Uh, so that would be all the way up to the CDC, federal level, to the state, local level, retailer, suppliers, everybody was kind of on the same page. Like, I mean, we gotta, we gotta wear masks, we gotta disinfect, we gotta social distance, uh, we gotta quarantine people. You know, that April, March, April, May, you know, everybody was aligned and doing that. And then it's, you know, kind of into this year, uh, you know, politics kind of got in the way and it seemed like states, localities were going different directions. Um, you know, CDC kind of going back and forth. So like alignment very early on was one thing. And I think it was easy for us to, to communicate, easy for us to operate. But then over this course of the pandemic, some of those entities started changing and it made it very difficult uh, for us to communicate to operators um, on what was going on and just, just a lot of confusion. Um, so that was, that was definitely a, I think a negative, I think for really the entire food system, uh, some opportunities that lie ahead. Yeah. So how did your having so many franchisees affect your response or, you know, what, what, what were the takeaways from that or the takeaways going forward? Yeah. So we're a franchisee system. We have uh, roughly 2000 uh, franchisees. And so, you know, what, what we do is we partner with these owner operators um, um, on the business. So we were, we see each other as, as business partners. Uh, so in this case, you know, we, we had to change a lot of uh, requirements, what we call temporary operational requirements. And so we had to release those. We had to update those. Uh, we did a lot of webinars. We did a lot of engagement with operators. We had specific operator panels uh, you know, that, that we had to work with, but, you know, for safety concerns or just anything safety and health related team members, guests, um, you know, everything's pretty much at a brand level. Everything is, is consistent across the chain. And so everything was communicated out, you know, to franchisees. Um, we probably shot more videos from high level leadership as well. Um, to franchisees, you know, talking about our requirements and, and our expectations. And, 
you know, it's up to them to, to really follow and execute uh, our core restaurants. You know, we have a little bit more, um, you know, I don't want to say more control, but we have a, a little bit more, um, you know, weight on, on those things, but we were able to also, you know, send third-party auditors into the field, just like we normally do with food safety and, uh, and look at things that were happening for COVID and uh, you know, overall, um, I think, you know, the, the response was, well, where we got into challenges is where a local or a state doesn't have a requirement here. And the thing, too, that's challenging from a franchisee's perspective is each of these communities that our owner operators, uh, you know, operate their business in uh, are very different right across the country. So you could have one community where we looked at COVID cases and they would be low. And, and they would be sustained low. And, you know, you would look at case positivity rate, case per 100,000. You'd look at vaccination rates. And, I mean, there, there are some good cases made, like, you know, hey, the risk here is low. You know, why do I have to keep doing these things? And my customers also tell me that they're okay, you know, if we, if we scale back. So those are some really hard conversations, you know, that we had to have. But we felt we couldn't deviate from a kind of a brand, from a brand level. I understand that Chick-fil-A was one of the few restaurant groups that was able to organize some on-site vaccinations. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, we did. We, um, we worked with um, a medical provider that, that already does flu shots um, at our corporate office. And we weren't quite sure, you know, if we were going to be able to do this, you know, because it takes a couple of things. One, it, it, we, we had to have demand for it. Um, we had to have the right partners to do it, um, and we had to have the right location um, to do it to do it as well. And so, you know, we we had a vaccine sub team that formed uh, in December of 2020, and and that was one of our goals was to provide uh, better accessibility uh, and remove barriers for vaccines. And um, we uh, we polled our team in in March when it became available to everybody uh, in the state of Georgia. And we did have fairly fairly high demand, and so we uh, we worked with um, a medical provider, but we also worked with a, a company that was doing our COVID testing, uh, specifically here here in Georgia. Um, and so we worked with uh, two companies to provide uh, two events we've done so far. We're doing a third event coming up Wednesday, um, and we had a, we were blessed to have a space that we could do it in, uh, do it safely in. And um, it's, it's been a good experience. So we had a lot of staff that, that were hesitant to get the vaccine and told us that they, they probably wouldn't have gotten it if uh, we hadn't put on um, that clinic. So um, we felt it's been, a, it's been a really good success. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with boosters. Um, you know, if the, if the COVID shot, you know, is something that needs to be done annually and if it can be paired with flu shot, you know, I think we'll, we'll definitely kind of put on a kind of a annual type event, you know, every year. Um, and our goal too is just to continue to push uh, the vaccines um, and their use and their efficacy uh, and their value uh, moving forward. 
You know, we have a 30-year track record with flu shots. And um, what we know about flu shots are that they have to be super convenient. Um, we, had, we had a client that years ago um, had a, a corporate office park in, in the Dallas area and they had five buildings. And we used to send nurses on site to all five buildings. They decided to pare it back to three buildings. Employees didn't even need to go outside. They needed to walk through the Skyway from one building to another if it wasn't in their building and their participation dropped by half. Um, so how that applies to COVID, you know, will, you know, time will tell, but yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things we did Rosalind is, um, yeah, we ha actually had quite a bit of people that just, you know, walked over from the next building, uh, that got it, but we, we opened it up to, to friends and family as well to staff and, and it was good to see, um, you know, spouses, uh, and even 12 and 15 year olds. That's why we're putting on, uh, our third event uh, coming up next week. Uh, cause we're going to give second doses, uh, to some of our staff family members that are in that 12 to 15 year old range, um, which is, which is really good to see. Were there concerns about the liability and opening it to friends and family? Mm -hmm. um, not, not a whole lot. I mean, we, we worked with our legal team and I, I mean, our providers were fine with it. Um, they, they were, they were definitely good with it. And um, you know, we're, you know, our Chick-fil-A is really focused on family. Um, and so our flu shots have also been open to family. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it wasn't, it really wasn't a big issue for us to get through. It sounds like it was a natural progression from the, yeah. you know, from your, the services you were, you were providing. So beyond COVID, what are some of the challenges that you're thinking about and you're facing? Well, I think, you know, the industry itself is facing kind of a staffing, staffing challenge and is uh, no different, no different for us as well. Um, but you take that too also with this increased volume. So our sales volumes have increased as well um, with COVID. So we have, you know, higher than, than normal volumes also now with staffing challenges. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a big issue we're working through, you know, we've had a lot of turnover with COVID. Um, so we got a lot more new team members um, that are working for us. And, and as we get back to reopening dining rooms, there is a lot of team members <laughs> that don't have experience serving customers. And that's a, you know, serving our guests is a big deal to us. It's one of our core things. And so, you know, as we, have these high volumes, we look to reopen dining rooms and we have staffing challenges. It's, it's a concern. Like how do, how do we make sure these team members are trained, you know, to serve these guests that are going to come back in and down with us? How do we train them, you know, to give that high level of service that we had uh, before COVID? Um, so that's, that's a challenge. The other challenges we have too, is just sometimes it's hard to get into our parking lots. Um, <laughs> I, you know, our drive-throughs, you know, that was another thing we were prepared for with COVID with, you know, we, we were doing really well with digital. We had, we had already done really well with drive-through, drive-through innovation, throughput. And, you know, we have, we have stores where it's going to be hard for customers to even come back in the dining room because the parking lots are already so crowded, you know, with the drive-through. So um, lots of challenges ahead and just lots of other challenges ahead with, with operators, you know, doing delivery, doing curbside, doing mobile ordering, doing drive-through, you know, and, and then dining, and, you know, coming back. And, and what do we do with playgrounds um, as well? So there's a, there's a lot of challenges ahead for sure. As we think about going towards the fall and we think about that this current low level may in fact be a result of seasonal 
you know, not just a result of vaccination, but also a, the reality of the season changing. Are you thinking ahead towards preparing for a fall surge? Are you writing procedures and thinking about how to ramp back up, how to stock back up? Are you, are you stockpiling the supplies you might need? Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, one of the things we've communicated, you know, especially now is we're, we're going back into opening dining rooms, you know, where it's allowed. And, uh, you know, we, we do allow vaccinated team members to, um, to not wear a mask. Um, you know, we're, we're pulling some, you know, pulling some of those things back uh, as the risk is lower now, for sure. But one thing we've always communicated is like, look, you know, we're going to have to be prepared to put things back uh, on as well or back together as well if that risk if that risk comes back so yeah you know it is going to be interesting to see what happens um, you know this fall you know to do the vaccines wane uh, or other variants emerging um, I mean goodness you know what happened to flu you know if if our immune you know if our immune system hasn't seen the flu in over a year and all of a sudden it comes back uh, <laughs> how are we going to handle it um, so yeah, you know, we, we, we are trying to prepare like, okay, look, let's, let's think three months ahead. We, one thing that Chick-fil-A did is we tried to always look, let's just look 90 days ahead. Cause like mm-hmm. things are changing so fast. Let's just, just focus on 90 days and let's, let's do that right now. We are focused, you know, really through the, uh, the end of, uh, Q2, uh, and, and going into Q3. Um, but yeah, this winter, we, you very well may may expect it. So we are just trying to communicate that it could happen. Uh, communicate, don't throw plexiglass away. Don't throw things away. Um, you know, we've communicated with our our face covering manufacturer to make sure that, that we have supply. Uh, if we have to bring those back out and then working with our supply chain um, as well. You know, I'm hoping, you know, the, the glove situation and some of the other PPE shortages are going to be um, are going to be sorted out. I think what one thing this does give give us to is, is time again to kind of kind of reassess uh, ventilation and air systems um, that we could you know we could work on as well. So um, you know I'm hopeful that this, the the thing anything in the winter is not going to be with what we what we experienced mm-hmm. um, last year. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely definitely have to be ready uh, in case we need to we need to add things back on. I agree with you. I don't think we're going to see what we saw earlier in the year or last year, but that we do need to prepare, be prepared for a seasonal, um, you know, lower level surge and regional, you know, and regional surges. Uh, One last, one last question. Many of the infectious disease experts out there think that we're already past due for the next pandemic because this last one was, was quite past due according to all the the biostatisticians. Tell me about what that means in Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I think it's taken everything we've learned from COVID um, and and trying try not to let let us be um, kind of taken taken out of shock or sort of surprise um, again. You know, I think I do think one of the things that, that that was good for us is we created this dashboard, and the dashboard helped us track cases specifically relocated to our restaurants mm-hmm. um and and like not only like what was going on in a county or state but literally like what was happening within a radius of our restaurants and so that's been an extremely helpful tool and so one thing i want to do i want to expand that tool to not only have covid but to uh, also have you know norovirus or hep a or flu 
and other outbreaks that can get on. That that dashboard helped our organization, our operators kind of understand the risk that was going on uh, within their communities. I, I think to, you know, looking back on things now, um, you know, understanding the importance of spacing, um, understanding the importance of barriers and physical barriers between people, um, you know, I, I think I think it's so important. I think we've always focused on foodborne illness uh, and things transmitted through food or transmitted, you know, through the through the fecal oral route or through water. Um, but now we got to look we got to look more so around you know things that can be transported uh, through respiratory or through the air um, and through other other things. So. You know, I, we'll have to we'll have to continue to follow the research, um, but but focus more so just outside of what's going on in the food realm, but what's going on in in the public health realm as well, and really kind of focus too on on things starting out east uh, that come out here west. Right. Absolutely. You know, we've always known that when there was a, a TB case in a restaurant, that it's difficult, you know, that our, our HVAC systems make it difficult to transmit it in a restaurant. It's unusual for us to see workplace transmission. And I think that was a really important thing when it, when it came to, to preventing COVID transmission. Um, but prior to, prior to COVID, more than half of our client interactions were something related to or, you know, look like or diagnosed as norovirus and norovirus and other upper respiratory infections, norovirus and respiratory infections are back that are non-COVID related. So we, uh, we're certainly, you know, now dealing with, you know, sort of the trifecta of having COVID and those other things, HEPA, norovirus. Yeah. It, you know, it was, it was interesting to, to see this kind of respiratory um, pathogen have GI effects, yes. uh, which, well, just a wide range of of side effects. So, I mean, I think the big thing too, for us moving forward, is you know, we always stress, you know, don't work when sick specifically around on having a fever, um, you know, nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, things like that. But it's gotta be like, like you don't need to come to work if you're, if you're sick at all. And that includes a cough that includes other respiratory, uh, you know, symptoms as well. So what are, what are the other symptoms too, that are out there that aren't, you know, respiratory or, or GI related um, that could cause, contagious disease spread within the restaurant or within a community and how do we also focus on those because um, we really now I think one good thing about this is team members operators all of our staff understand the importance of not coming to work when sick yeah we had an interesting comment the other day from from another client that said because of the COVID systems that we all set up that that many um, younger managers or many newer managers had never really had a sick call um, because we were, we were identifying those people before they got to work, you know, and, and they didn't actually get that phone call of, you know, I don't feel well tonight. And the manager was like, well, you know, you asked for tonight off and, you know, you, you're really sure you're sick and, and training, you know, we have a new challenge of training newer and younger managers on how to, you know, how to um, handle a sick call, but never thought that there would be managers that had never handled a sick call, but. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I want to close with one thing. There are um, certain of our clients and, and Chick-fil-A certainly falls way near the top of the list that had extraordinary practices in place before this um, that so prepared you for handling COVID and whatever comes next. And, and you have a, a, a set of uh, a team, a set of procedures and, and a commitment that's really um, something you should be very proud of. Well, thank you. Thank you, Rosalind. Thank you for the opportunity. And thanks for all you do. Uh, we enjoy and appreciate your partnership. Great. Excellent. Thank you. Take care.
That's our show for today. Thanks again for taking the time to join us. Stay tuned for our next episode in your inboxes and on your podcast app of choice soon. As always, if you have any topics or questions you'd like us to cover or have a guest we should chat with, don't hesitate to reach out to us at support at zerohourhealth.com. To learn more about us and subscribe to our twice-weekly executive summary, check out zerohourhealth.com. Thanks again.